Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the Africast. My name is Brendan Lotz and joining me as always is Louis Monzon. Hey everybody. And Robin Lichetti. Howdy. How you guys doing this week? Pretty okay. Pretty, you know, pretty normal. Pretty cold. Pretty cold, and especially in this room that we're in right now. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a gap at the top of the door where all the hot air is escaping. I, I just asked if we have a ghost or something. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe there is a ghost. Um, right. Let's get started with the news. Uh, we haven't discussed this beforehand, so we're just kind of going crazy here, but I'll kick us off. Um, if you live in Johannesburg, you're going to be paying a little bit more for electricity. 14.97% more, actually. Um, that's whether you're a resident, a business, or a large power user. Um, for residents specifically, you'll be paying 2 Rand 10 cents more in block one, which goes up from zero to 350 kilowatt hours. Uh, and thereafter, you'll be paying 2 Rand 41 uh, cents per kilowatt hour at block two. Um, Essentially what this boils down to is that you'll be paying, as near as makes no difference, 850 Rand for 350 kilowatts of electricity. And um, City Power basically says that uh, to save costs, customers are advised at the beginning of the month to buy electricity 350 kilowatt hours for 733 Rand 85 cents plus VAT, uh, which is 843 Rand. 93, including the VAT, and to use it sparingly, uh, which is kind of laughable because, um, I don't know, how much do you guys, on average, do you know how much you spend on electricity per month? I do. How much? Um, so when I can't, now that it's winter, yeah. I'm spending around 900 rand okay. with the heaters and stuff, right? All right. Oh, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> so back when I used to do prepaid metering, yeah, about 500 rand a month? Yeah, so I load around uh, 500 bucks at the beginning of the month, and then halfway through the month, more often than not, I'll need to load around 250 rand more-ish. Mm. Um, but that's just myself. I live with two other people, mm. um, and when we're all three in the house, that's 1,500 rand a month, I'm basically. All, I'm all alone. I have no one. Oh, in my gosh. life. That took a depressing turn. <laughs> um, so yeah, 350 uh, kilowatt hours is not a lot of electricity, especially if you have a backup, um, a backup power solution. Uh, the, worst is, the news is even worse for businesses, though. Um, all customers will be, in addition to the above charges, be liable for a network, network surcharge of $0.06 cents per kilowatt hour. Uh, for residential customers, the surcharge will not be in effect for the first... 500 kilowatt hours that consumers uh, use per month but business and large power customers will also be hit with a two percent uh, surcharge on top of the network surcharge so if you're a business it's about to become a lot more expensive to use electricity the good news though is that city power is working to launch a feed-in tariff where residents can sell excess power they generate through solar power to the utility um, the feed-in tariff is currently currently approved for 85 cents per kilowatt hour for residential embedded generation and 70 cents per kilowatt hour for large power users embedded generation uh, that means that at these current prices city power could be making as much as one round 25 cents uh, if it takes that power, if it buys that power from someone and sells it on to other residents. Uh, but of course, City Power needs to maintain the infrastructure, the uh, feed-in infrastructure that would be needed. Um, but yeah, it's it's not good. We're spending a lot more on electricity, mm -hmm. and if you want to sell back to 
uh, city power, you're going to have to sell a lot of electricity back to, for it to be viable, even in the slightest. Yeah, I think exacerbating issues for Johannesburg residents in particular is the city of Joburg's um, recent uh, new property valuation rule. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be having to pay a lot more as far as levies and things of like that. Great. As well, so, yeah. More money, yeah. more problems. I mean, I don't have that much money. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, that's not good news. And I suspect that it's going to get worse as more folks move to alternative power solutions, mm -hmm. uh, move away from ESCOM, and then ESCOM needs to make more money somehow. So those that remain on the grid are going to have to pay more. Anyway, Louis, what have you got for us this week? Okay, so there's been a lot of news around NASFAS, which is the National Student Financial Aid Scheme. So NASFAS basically funds, it's the, it's, it's right now it's the largest uh, scholarship and bursary funder in Africa. Um, they, they give over, I think it's like over a billion rand to um, nearly a million students across the country um, in uh, accommodation fees, tuition fees, living expenses, um, transport costs. And uh, they're very popular and a lot of uh, vulnerable, people in vulnerable financial situations kind of depend on them. Um, recently, they, they did a lot of, like a very big, uh, you know, how, how to do about their new bank accounts and cards they're launching. So they have MasterCard branded uh, bank cards and attached to these bank cards are gonna be new bank accounts. So previously, um, and, and Nasfas would, um, uh, through the universities or the tertiary institutions, they would pay uh, the students directly. Um, I think I've, I'm not quite sure how this, the system works um, because the bank accounts apparently are completely novel and, and something that students weren't using before. Um, I'm not sure how they loaded, the, how they got their money, either cash or maybe um, through the university they were, they were supplied somehow. Um, but that system was completely changed as of the 1st of July. And now students are forced to use these bank accounts. Now, the, the bank accounts give a bunch of benefits. And when I was beginning to cover this news, um, Nasfas would primarily focus on the benefits of the bank account. So they would work like uh, like a current account or a checking account would. Um, you can use the, the new bank cards to buy stuff online, tap to pay, um, you get SMS notifications when you, when you make transactions, etc. But then, after the 1st of July, everything was fine, right? Until they, it wasn't fine. Un, until they had to implement the changes, until yeah. like it was go time. Then all of a sudden, things turned very bad very quickly. Um, literally on the 2nd of July, or sorry, on the thing of the 4th of July, 3rd, 4th, is when students started realizing that they had to onboard themselves onto the, uh, they have already onboarded themselves onto the new bank accounts, and then they started seeing what this actually meant, like in, in the real world. Yeah. Um, and what that meant was banking fees, a lot of banking fees, very high banking fees that the bank accounts would have to t would take from uh, these students, right? Yeah. And to put it into perspective, um, Nasfas gives each one of its beneficiaries around 15,000 rand um, uh, per year. Yeah. To survive, right? As okay. what what they term living expenses. Yeah. Right. So it's not a lot of money, um, and the banking fees that that uh, I'll just let me open here and let me see what uh, 
what some of these banking fees include. Okay, so um, the monthly in-bundle fee for the Nasfas bank account is 29 Rand. Um, if you compare it to an FMB account, that's only 10 Rand. Standard Bank student, that's 10 Rand. Uh, APSA Silver is 27 Rand. And NetBank, you don't pay anything. So how much is this this Nasfas account? Sorry? So that's the, the monthly in-bundle fee. Yeah, and how much was that, sorry? 29 Rand. Okay. That's like a premium banking account mm. fee. And it gets worse. So um, you have to, if you pay, so if you pay an EFT out, mm-hmm. um, oh, that's the quantity, sorry. This is the out-of-bundle fees. So uh, ATM withdrawals at your own, at own ATMs. I'm not quite sure what that means because uh, NASFAS doesn't really have ATMs. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess they, they used it for everything. So if you withdraw at the ATM, at any ATM, you have to pay 10 Rand per every withdrawal plus 2 Rand for every 100 Rand that you withdraw. Wow. Right? Um, so again, to kind of put this into perspective, if, if a student decides to draw 300 Rand from, from their yeah. bank account, um, they will have to be paying 16 Rand to a banking partner uh, that, that uh, I'll get into, into yeah. the banking partners because that's a whole other kind of worms. They have to pay 16 Rand on top of it. That doesn't seem like much unless you kind of figure that effectively a student who was on Nasfas gets 41 Rand per day as part of their living expenses. Yeah. If you, if you break down that 15,000 Rand. So you got like a third of that, right? Basically, just because, more than a just third. because you're drawing your money in cash. That's ridiculous. Right? That's transport for the day for for most people. I mean, driven by taxi. Like, I don't mean to be funny here, but like, that's a packet of two minute noodles, which doesn't sound like a lot. But when you're a student, you're mm. starving. That's that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it effectively removes a meal or, you know, transport. Just because of the banking fees. That's ridiculous. For something that's supposed to make your life easier. Yeah, this is this is just so ludicrous. Obviously, students are angry. Everyone's upset. Um, Natsfas has been very quiet. They have not answered my emails. Please answer my emails, Nasfas. Um, they have also not made any public um, statements or anything about you know the banking fees. Um, and then we get into the other problem of perhaps why they're not making any public statements. So um, the organization undoing tax abuse, AUTA, has been um, investigating Nasfas for a while, right? And their dealings and what they're kind of what they're doing. So Nasfas had a tender open for fintech partners to help them with these kind of bank accounts, yeah. right? Um, Auto believe that the, the tender, the contracts around this were as much as 1.5 billion in terms of taxpayer rands, okay. right? That's a lot of, that's a lot of cheddar. Um, so the contracts, the tenders, eventually went out to four fintech companies, Izaga, Coinvest, Naroko, and Tenet Tech, right? Yeah. Um, it's interesting that it went to these four companies, which are relatively brand new companies. Like yeah. the, the, the oldest one was started in 2017, right? Um, the youngest one was started in 2021. Um, when bigger, more established companies also submitted for the tender, including Standard Bank, ABSA, FNB, and even MTN tried to get uh, yeah. the contract. But they were all beaten out by these four relatively unnamed companies, like out of the blue, right? Um, so, sorry, yeah. I just want to jump in here. Um, did any NASFAS, like head honchos, put their money in these four fintechs? Because they should. 
if they if they truly believe that these guys are the, are the people that they should be banking mm-hmm. with, they should put their own money in there. I don't think so. Hey? I mean, I don't even. I, I've never heard of any of these companies until I started following this news. I don't know if you guys have any. Coin, coin, is it Coinvest. Coin, I know Coinvest. Coin yeah, mm. I've heard of them, but right. I thought that they were just like cash in transit people or like foreign like. Apparently, um, currency exchange. They have a fintech arm, um, and. So, what's another thing that's really strange about this whole thing is that certain universities have to use certain fintechs, right? Not everyone has to go on Coinvest, for example. Um, it's it's really weird that this is the kind of the system that uh, Nasfas decided to go on. Um, I believe like Coinvest operates only students from Wits or the UJ, um, and then. Izaga would be an universities in Limpopo. Like different universities have to you sign up with a different uh, fintech, and they have to do this themselves. Like Nasfas doesn't do it for you. Oh gosh! Um, so you have to go to their websites and sign up, and you have to know which kind of partner goes with your university. That's ridiculous. Which makes things even more confusing, especially you know if you're if you're struggling with, well, I mean you, you're doing your school and you're doing this and you're doing that, and now all of a sudden your your kind of your expenses and your your allowance, your monthly money that comes in, uh, depends on if you know which fintech to go to and stuff like that. But I mean, so this is even worse though because you don't actually get a choice in which fintech company to put your money no, with. No, it depends on the university, right? Yeah, so, oh yeah, man, this is, this is a mess. This is a mess. Apart from the, the logistic mess of everything. Yeah. Um, so a, a bunch of student organizations uh, like the EFF, um, Student Command, mm-hmm. which is a strange uh, term to put it, is yeah. basically their, their representative of the, of, for the UCT EFF. The UCT EFF. Right? Yeah. So the University of, of Cape Town's EFF um, have alleged that the whole scheme is just another kind of sign of tenderpreneurship, right? Ooh, you know, like yeah. it, it's a corruption scandal mm-hmm. waiting to happen. Um, they have called on students to kind of reject the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and this, this has been followed by, you know, the DA student organization have said similar things. The UJ uh, student representative council have said similar things, um, kind of saying that this is the system is not working; it needs to change. And so now we are on the the fifth of July, so five days after um, the bank accounts were launched, and Nasfas has yet to do anything about this whole situation. So we're just gonna see how it goes uh, forward. Um, hopefully, this, the kids get their money, man. You know. Yeah, this is this is a mess, though. Yeah, the issue isn't the kids getting the money; it's that they are charged exorbitantly mm. for using said money they that can, they need for studies, not for the, the fees are crazy. It's insane. I mean, like, could they not? Could Nasus not have done like a deal where they absorb the fees themselves? I mean, they can put aside some of the funding they receive to cover fees. It just feels like such a cop-out to pass these along to the students who already don't have money. Now you want them to, what, pay exorbitant just, banking fees? I think for me, it just it stinks of like poor preparation. Yeah. I mean, it's your money anyway. It's not supposed money anyway, yeah. right? The money you give to the students, it comes from your account and your wallet. Yeah. Why not, like you said, just take that money over? Why, why give them the, the students the money? Why even show them that they're getting fees? Exactly. Like, I mean, like I understand, oh, well, you know, some people need to learn the value of money. No, 
those people, if you're saying that yeah. into your speakers right now, mm. that's not the case, right? Like, you will learn about banking fees and overages and all that nonsense when you have a proper bank right. account, when you're earning a salary. Like, the fact that you are now having that, that learning happen to you mm -hmm. in situ... Like, while you're already struggling, yeah, sure, let's add even more stress right. to our already overstressed youth, i.e., no, and fail, the, uh, absolute fail. Another thing that's, like, really bad about this is that other student bank accounts from proper, real banks, yeah. like NetBank, so NetBank, their student bank account uh, doesn't have any monthly in-bundle fees. They have unlimited ATM withdrawals. They have free airtime purchase fees, free data purchase fees. Um, they don't charge you anything when you withdraw at their but own ATM. But they lose ATMs. out to the yeah. Mickey Mouse organization that's been around since, what, 2017? Mm. Nah, man, guys. I'm all for helping companies grow and for fintechs to, to, to grow and mature, but that's ridiculous. Not if you can't beat zero, then you shouldn't be no. even... Not for a project the size of NASMIS. No, you can't no. be having fintechs... Little startups for, no. for 1.5 billion rand in taxpayer money, you know. Yeah, no, sorry. It needs uh -uh. to be a serious something there, serious. You there know? needs to be more oversight from governments in regards to this because this is complete nonsense. As a taxpayer, I am offended. <laughs> anyway, Robin, let's move on to you. What have you got for us this week? Something that is potentially also offensive. Oh God. Um, the Apple Vision Pro headset. So oh yeah, the price of that is yes, offensive. Yes, eye-watering to say the least. Um, so. As we know, Apple held a, an event in early June to reveal the new headset, its augmented reality headset, the Vision Pro, and that was really pretty much it. All we got was a real um, some CGI-assisted uh, uh, demos, kind of previews of what the headset could be able to do, and then the price tag, $3,500. Uh, which is a lot of cheddar, uh, close to 70,000 Rand uh, if using the exchange rate, and that's not even including all the kind of tax that you need to add on to that. So we could see something closer to the 100K mark if it ever does reach South Africa. I say that because the US is the only market that's been earmarked for the release of the device mm -hmm. sometime next year. Again, we have no kind of more, uh, uh, I guess, a, a smaller window or any kind of uh, time frame to launch a device. Uh, but the reason why we're talking about the Vision Pro is that Apple may have grossly overestimated how many devices it could manufacture. <laughs> Damn. Or rather, its suppliers could manufacture. So according to a report uh, by the Financial Times, um, it cites a few people close to the matter, uh, i.e. the suppliers in China. Uh, Apple reportedly wanted to manufacture as many as one million Vision Pro headsets in 2024. That to me sounds insane when you consider the price tag of this device. They think are they sell a million in the US? Are there one million people that can be able to afford this? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. I mean, I'm sure there's a million people in the US. Seems like a pretty big place, but I mean, a million people that are willing to spend three thousand five hundred yeah. dollars on in expendable income, basically, you know. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, so no, that, that dumb, Tim Apple, that dumb. So, apart from that, um, the reason why. Um, we're hearing uh, rumors that the one million figure has been dramatically reduced. The suppliers say that the headset itself is really difficult to manufacture. As we know, uh, Apple has designed a lot of kind of innovation and you know, kudos to them. They have indeed designed a product that is cutting edge. However, it is extremely expensive and difficult to manufacture. Mm -hmm. The kind of uh, the flexible OLED uh, display on front 
Um, yeah. Most v VR and AR headsets don't have that kind of display. Yeah. Um, the, the whole kind of purpose of the display is to show people that you are in yeah. AR mode, essentially. Mm, yeah. It also allows you to see through it when you're not. So you can kind of have that kind of blended reality yeah. uh, kind of interface. That is expensive. Um, <laughs> curved screens, curved glass is expensive. Yeah. So Sony, um, for the prototypes that were shown last month, Sony provided those displays. However, they've been uh, curiously mum on the subject. They haven't said anything as regards um, what's happening in terms of orders, how many it's been able to kind of supply uh, Apple with, and everyone's kind of like just being tight-lipped at the moment. So, so the new figure that they are saying that they can manufacture is less than 400,000. So it's from 1 million to 400,000. It makes me wonder, right, if maybe like a Sony exec sent through the, the display as a sample and somewhere the messaging got mixed up and they were like, oh, this will be ready by 2024. Like the, and then Apple was like, cool, that's in time for our headset. <laughs> we also want that. 2024 it is. Yeah, so that's kind of where the situation is right now. Um, we haven't really covered much of the Vision Pro ever since launch. Um, and by all accounts, it looks like South Africans won't be able to experience it for themselves in 2024. Yeah. Um, who knows, that might change, but for your suppliers to already, to be saying now, because remember, in six months time, it's 2024. Yeah. Hmm. So things should already be in market. Um, they should really have like production yeah, samples. Supply chain should be sorted out already. Yeah. We should be seeing uh, devices shipping to different regions. That's it, we don't even know which region outside of the US is gonna be having access to this mm. device. Mm. So I'm, 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 I'm actually thinking that this is gonna be a failure to launch kind of device. I'm just gonna quote uh, the late Murray Walker. It's a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's the Vision Pro. Um, I think it has generated a lot of buzz. Um, journalists that have had the opportunity to experience the device say it's great. It kind of works as Apple says it does. But $3,500, that's a no. I mean, I would like those journalists to uh, wear the thing every day, all day, like during work hours. Yeah, I mean, we don't know how long those demos were. Mm. Yeah, no, no. I want uh, eight hours a day, five days a week. Then tell me how great and revolutionary it is. Yeah, it's... Um, I think um, kind of prior to the launch, um, people were kind of saying that this device needs to kind of do for AR and VR headsets what the iPhone did for smartphones, and it did not, no. in my opinion. I don't think it has. I honestly, honestly... Happy to be proven wrong. If Apple wants to see this one, hell, yeah, uh, well, we're I'm we're happy to try it out. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's not looking good for the Vision Pro, especially given how much hype and how much has kind of build up there's been for this device. Speaking of uh, hype and uh, great technological innovations, Twitter is the subject of our conversation today, um, mainly because oh, it's, been a, it's been a crazy couple of days over mm -hmm. on the Bluebird app. Let's start with uh, rate limiting. So were you guys on Twitter at the weekend? Yes. I know most of us don't really like spend too much time online over the weekends. I just saw tweets about it. So yeah, I, uh, I logged in on Saturday evening, I think it was, trying to scroll through Twitter, you know, doom scroll my Saturday night away. Yeah. 
and uh, I discovered that I couldn't even load my timeline. Um, I didn't even get a message about rate limiting. I just could not load my timeline. But I very quickly discovered that there was something called rate limit exceeded appearing on a whole bunch of people's tweets. Uh, so what had happened was um, Elon Musk had decided that you know you can only view so much, uh, so much. So many, so many tweets per per day. I guess mm-hmm. it was. Uh, it started at on started at around five hundred tweets, six hundred tweets, um, and it's since increased over the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, essentially, it broke Twitter. Folks couldn't view tweets. Uh, a lot of people spoke about how advertising was kind of kneecapped because of this. Because if you can only view six hundred tweets a day, uh, that means that advertisers can only potentially reach. Yeah, a, a far lesser number of people than than previously than they previously could. Um, but then on Tuesday, uh, after the rate limiting had kind of evened itself out, uh, or or not evened itself out, but it had kind of stabilized. Uh, another surprise was handed down to users in the form of TweetDeck being completely broken. So I should mention on Monday, TweetDeck was kind of broken already because Mm -hmm. of uh, the rate limits uh, that were implemented. Um, And then on Tuesday, uh, TweetDeck, well, I woke up, logged into TweetDeck and discovered that I had the new TweetDeck or Mm -hmm. preview TweetDeck as it was previously known. Um, And when I tried to get out of it, I could not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went searching and found Twitter support, which announced we have just lo- launched a new improved version of TweetDeck. All users can t- continue to access their saved searches and workflows via tweetdeck.twitter.com by selecting try the new TweetDeck in the, bo- in the bottom left menu. Um, this tweet was ratioed. Uh, and if you don't know what that <laughs> means, it means that the quote tweets exceed the replies. Um, and uh, a lot of people were upset, firstly because the new tweet deck, despite what the support account said, uh, did not carry over searches and workflows. I know for myself, I had two columns of the eight that I had set up, um, and it just didn't work. Further to that, though, uh, TweetDeck is now becoming a Twitter blue feature. In 30 days, users must be verified to access TweetDeck, reports the support team. So if you've never used TweetDeck, I can understand that this seems very inane and kind of silly to you. But if, like me, it was the way that you access Twitter exclusively, um, this is bad news. So couple of reasons TweetDeck was good. The layout was fantastic. You didn't have to keep opening 35 new tweets or 100 and whatever new tweets. It would just auto-refresh your timeline for you. It gave you a nice one single-pane view of everything, including your direct messages, mentions, um, any searches that you wanted to bookmark. So, for instance, I had ESCOM as a search so that whenever load shedding was uh, updated, I had that information at my fingertips. Um, we had the hypertext Twitter account. Like there was, it's a very useful piece of kit. Further to that, there was an extension. I don't know if you guys use this better TweetDeck, which improved TweetDeck in leaps and bounds. Um, things like being able to more easily view videos without them breaking or GIFs. Um, just it, it helped round out that experience and took away a lot of the irks from it. But now all of that is gone. And it was free. Yeah, TweetDeck was also free. Um, it was originally an independent project, I believe. I don't think it was affiliated with Twitter originally, but then mm. Twitter bought it out um, a couple of years ago, pre-Elon pre Musk. Um, 
And for the most part, Twitter left it alone. They did try a preview, which uh, folks did not like, and then they kind of just left it and were like, okay, you know what, just keep using the old one. Forget that the preview is even there. Um, but now the preview is front and center, and TweetDeck is becoming a Twitter blue feature. So let's get thoughts around the table. Um, I mentioned the, uh, the rate limit. Did you guys experience that at all? So I was putting my my baby to sleep uh, and then I was in my offhand I was scrolling to Twitter as I do <laughs> and then I see Elon Musk's tweets come up because you can't if you're on the for you because for some reason I always it always puts me back into the for you yeah and I see his tweets come up because he's obviously the king of Twitter and every, everyone must know what he said and I see this oh tweet uh, what is the rate limiting oh, you only have so many tweets that you can I was like this can't be real like this is this like I was about to say a very bad word um like uh, it was, it was kind of like immediately. I was like, "It's it's not possible that this is the idea he comes up with, right?" Yeah. This is not counterintuitive to social media, right? You want more people to be on your on your on your systems longer. So on your there was something else I didn't even mention, but on Friday uh, it started to be revealed that you couldn't view tweets yeah. if you weren't logged into Twitter. So, essentially, if you've ever seen a tweet. Uh, that's because you were able to you were able to view it without having to log in. This was this wasn't true for all tweets like um, restricted content that's adults, not safe for work stuff. Um, you wouldn't be able you'd have to log in to see. But for the most part, like if an open Twitter mm. account posted a tweet on a website embedded it into a website, you'd be able to see it. That stopped on Friday, uh, forcing people to have to sign up to a Twitter account so, to view tweets. Okay, so if you don't have Twitter. You, you cannot view tweets. You can't even see the it embeds. Uh, no, it directs you to a, uh, a login page. I don't know if that has changed okay. since then, but I know on Friday that if you tried to view a tweet, if it was embedded in a website, mm. nah, could not see nothing. It just broke. Right. And that broke a whole bunch of links. So you had yeah. to sign up for an account, and then the next day, the very next day, you could only view 300 tweets a day. Like if I was a new user, goodbye. I am, I'm not coming back. It was nice to see that one tweet, but I'm not coming back. Thank you very much. No. Yeah. I, I also think that, I mean, it, ha it has to affect engagement in some way, shape, or form. I right? mean, how can it not, right? right? We'll get to Twitter's explanation in a little bit, but Robin, did you experience any of this, any of the problems that have come up? Um, so my first experience of the rate limiting, uh, that was when I opened up TweetDeck on Monday morning, yeah. ready to start working, uh -huh. and all my columns were blank. So somehow, somehow I already reached my rate limit. I hadn't even seen a single tweet yet. So that was the problem, right? Is that if it was like with us, where there are three of us on an account, yeah. that account gets rate limited like that. Because if we're all three looking at 100 tweets, yeah. I mean, it's gone. The limit has exceeded before we've even had a chance to open our eyes. So yeah, that's probably why that happened. Although we don't really have an explanation. Except Twitter did give us a sort of reasoning for why they they implemented these changes. So to read from a blog post Twitter posted, to ensure the authenticity of our user base, we must take extreme measures to remove spam and bots from our platform. That's why we temporarily limited usage so we could detect and eliminate bots and other bad actors that are harming the platform. Any advance notice on these actions would have allowed bad actors to alter their behavior to evade detection. Sorry, I don't understand. How does limiting the amount of tweets a user can view 
change spot or make it easier to spot bots? So this is what they said. So um, at a high level, we're working to prevent these accounts from one, scraping people's public Twitter data to build AI models, and two, manipulating people in conversation on the platform in various ways. Like to your point though, Robin, I mean, if I'm a bot and I can't tweet, I still look like everybody else mm. because now I can't tweet. Like, sure, maybe if a person reaches its rate limits in like a second, that might be suspicious. Mm. But I mean, is that what they were doing? Were they looking at how fast people no, were No, they were looking at, at, at quantity, how many tweets you see, right? Yeah, which is just, I, I mean. All of this seems very anti town square. If you ask me. I mean, we should ask the man himself, you know? So but We'd have to probably get an emerald mine for him to be tempted to come true. this way. Uh, I think that the AI scraping reason makes sense, right? And it's, a, it's like a Reddit situation. You know, Reddit did something similar recently where they, where they made the, the possibility of scraping their, their social media um, something behind the paywall, mm -hmm. right? Um, but... Now Twitter is completely eliminated, and we know that Elon Musk has uh, his issues with AI, right? Yeah. He was part of the big letter that uh, that a bunch of uh, Steve Wozniak and a bunch of other uh, tech guys signed to kind of tell AI technologies and and projects and you know OpenAI to kind of take a pause on development of new AIs, right? Yeah. Um, so it could be kind of like a, a big middle finger to to the AI people, like uh, no, no more. You know, you can't well, do this anymore. So I, I have something I want to say about this, about all these people who are both uh, pro-AI, anti-AI. The people who are developing this stuff are having a lot of conversation about um, scraping the internet, scraping public data. Yeah. And I just want to kind of hammer this home, that it is our data, right, at the end of the day. It's mm -hmm. our data that we are generating. Sure, we may be placing it on Facebook, on Twitter, all that sort of stuff, but it's stuff that we are generating as humanity. Right? Should the choice of whether that data is used or not not be given to us and not Facebook, not Twitter, not Instagram, not Google, but to the users whose data is being used? Do we not waive those choices when we log into these social Absolutely. Media? But we didn't waive those choices knowing that AI was going to be a thing. Mm. There's a whole new side of the internet that has evolved over the last couple of months with the likes of ChatGPT, BARD, whatever it may be. And users are kind of just being pushed out of the conversation completely. It's like, well, you know, you don't need to have a choice or say mm -hmm. in what, how this is used. Like, I mean, sure, like I, I get to your point, what you say about mm -hmm. that we kind of waive those rights. Mm -hmm. You waive, waive all royalty rights, they get to use your content mm -hmm. in advertising if they want to, I get that. But surely there's a conversation to be had here mm -hmm. about, hey, we're the users, could we have a say in how our data is be being used? Well, I mean, regulators in the EU are doing that right now. Yeah. Um, so Meta, uh, we wrote a story this week about it. Mm. Um, Meta has had a ruling placed against it by the EU uh, Court of Justice, and it says that it needs user consent before it pushes personalized ads to people Brilliant. on Facebook. Brilliant. Obviously, I'm sure Meta are going to fight it tooth and nail because, remember... When you uh, want to make use of Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, mm. you have to accept their terms, and part of their terms is that they're allowed to serve you ads regardless. Fair, so, fair. I mean, but also how those ads are served to me and what sort of ads are served to me, I feel like I should have a say on. Sure. Just like if I open up a 
car magazine, I'm not going to see adverts for hot singles in your area, you know, hopefully. I, I don't know the last time I opened a car magazine, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, but, I mean, surely there's, there's a point where we as the users get to say, hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. Or have we passed that point at this stage? I think um, there's definitely, there should be something there. Like, I, I definitely think that users should be considered... Because, like you said, it is our data. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think because of the new advancements in AI, like you said, should surely if these companies say that they care about users, surely they, they should at least ask, you know, if we're okay with this. So I'm sorry, I think we've gone way past that point already. We've given these companies too much power. Yeah. So unfortunately, we've lost the... As much as I believe we should have the right to say what can and cannot be used. We lost the fight. Yeah, we, yeah, we lost that ability a long time ago. We lost that fight when Cambridge Analytica was siphoning up everybody's, everybody's data and using it for weird, wacky experiments. And everybody was like, eh, why should I care? And yeah, they were like, whatever. Yeah, eh. We lost that fight when uh, there was a, a genocide in Myanmar mm. organized on Facebook and everybody went, eh, it's mm. not the US. It's not my hometown. Who cares? And we now sit in a situation where the world's richest man is running a social media website that he claims to be the town square of the internet with an iron fist and anything he says goes. Um, my question to you, though, is how long does Twitter have left? <laughs> and the reason I ask this is that because while we're talking about Facebook and Meta and all of that stuff, Meta is reading the launch of something called Threads, which is a Twitter-like platform for Instagram where you'd be able to post just text-based stuff um, and while there's been a lot of Twitter killers in the past couple of months Mastodon uh, Blue Sky True Social Parler you know all these <laughs> long-standing uh, yeah, Gab Gab throwback to 2020 um, but I do honestly think that if anybody is going to succeed at luring uh, Twitter users away from Twitter, it's Meta, and that's purely because Meta is a massive company. They bring in 2 billion viewers of users every single day. They can handle, uh, what, 22 million people that use How many people? 220 yeah. million was the last count on Twitter uh, before they locked off or became super private and didn't uh, disclose financials anymore. So, I mean, 200 million, that's small change for Instagram. And given the fact that a lot there's a lot of crossover in between accounts, I'm sure that there's already people, there's Twitter users who have Instagram accounts that they could just literally switch over and start using Threads. Yeah, I can't speak for everyone, but if Threads is reliant on me having an Instagram account, I'm out. I mean, it's I have been Instagram. Real. Post food pics. Um, I think... Threads is coming out tomorrow. Yeah, uh, well, rumored. Rumor is that. So it's really uh, by tomorrow, I mean the sixth, the sixth of July. Yes, yes. Um, I'm definitely going to try it out. I think uh, to answer your question, if it will kill Twitter, I think these companies have uh, a metric. They have to have some sort of metric where it's like we can't recover past this point. Yeah. If maybe uh, I'm speedballing here, but I think maybe if if user growth is down by a certain percent over a certain period of time, then they're gonna have to say we're gonna have to close shop because we yeah. can't manage it. Mm -hmm. um, I imagine that's the case. Twitter is still apart from everything, it still has an enormous user base. So if it will kill Twitter, it will have to kill it slowly. Yeah. Right. And it will have to be able to do everything that Twitter does, and a bit better. 
and for free and for free mm -hmm. if we can manage that then maybe it will kill so Twitter. We already know that Meta wants to charge for uh, verification. I believe they've started that, haven't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah, where you pay for a blue check mark. Okay. So I mean, there's that. That's the same. Deal. That's the same there. Um, whether what that entails in terms of having threads, like can I post twenty five thousand character posts to threads with three inline images and the ability to select bold, italics, or un underline? Yeah, I don't um, know. For, for me, it's like. Again, we have to see what Threads looks like. But Threads is run by Meta. So I'm trading one abusive relationship for another abusive relationship. Yeah, yeah but at least Meta isn't just run by a, a madman who's... Yeah, it's, it's run by a lizard, lizard man. Yeah, but it's, I mean, Elon Musk is just leaning further and further right. Sure. And further, further into conspiracy theories. So much so that I feel like community notes were set up specifically to monitor Elon Musk's responses to mm. tweets. So the, the, the further and further right is a good point there because as we have seen, and sorry if it, to get political here, yeah. but right-wing nationalism is taking over the world. It really is. We have seen many uh, first world nations where right-wing nationalism has become a huge thing. Yeah. And for that reason, I think Twitter will therefore have a, a strong user base. Fair. I mean, the problem is, though, is everybody else. Like, if you cater to one side, and we saw this with the likes of Parler, the likes of Gab, when you cater to a very specific audience, you don't have much reach. You don't have much, like... Like, let's take Rumble, for example, right? So Rumble is an alternative to YouTube where anything goes, except not really. There's still a lot of things you can't say. Same as Truth Social. It parades itself as oh, freedom of speech but I mean you you post something illicit there something that is illegal like law illegal you're gonna get you're gonna get slammed for it and that's the same thing that all of these platforms do is that they say oh it's freedom of speech freedom of this freedom of that but at the end they just got to go back to the center you can go ext as extreme as you want at the end laws are going to push you towards the center and Twitter is eventually going to be pushed to the center again but will it have users when it comes to that point? I don't think so. I think it will purely for the fact that, again, it's a, it's a very good echo chamber, Twitter. Mm -hmm. And I think, yes, you'll have a lot of right-wing people saying whatever they want to. And you'll have a lot of people on the left saying what they want to. And they will think that what they're saying is, is reaching who it needs to reach because so, they're in the echo chamber. So here's my... This is how I think that Twitter will die. All the promises Musk has made to everybody who's now uploading video content to Twitter, being able to monetize your content, all that sort of stuff. After a year, if Barn Boy Carlton, who is uh, uploading his new show to Twitter, if he is not seeing returns on that in terms of like money, because eventually these folks need to make money, right? All of these pod bros, all of these people that are running think pieces, the billionaires that have their little uh, schools that they run, they need to earn money off of that. Likes of YouTube, Twitch, all those places allow you to earn money. Until Twitter is letting these folks earn money, there's not really much value there. And Musk has promised time and time again that you will be able to earn money off of ad, ad revenue sharing, all that sort of stuff. But if that isn't there, the content goes away. People go to places where there is content and Twitter becomes what it always has been, a way to point people to other content that you have monetized. That's what Twitter's purpose is. Twitter is not a, a content hub. It has never been that. 
The fact that people are uploading video content on there now is terrible. I watched somebody upload the um, a Transformers movie onto Twitter, right? I know it's illegal, but it was a terrible experience. Like there was no um, there was no closed captions that I could could uh, set. Yeah. There was no quality of the video that I could set. Like it was just awful. It's, right? it's a gimmick that you can do there. Yeah, it's, it's, and it always has been a gimmick though. Twitter has always been that platform where it's like, hey, I posted this really cool YouTube video. Please go and watch it. Here's the link. Right. You don't post that video to YouTube. I mean, to Twitter because there's no way you can monetize it. Mm. There's no way that you can like profit off of those views where something like YouTube, TikTok, Instagram Reels, there are so many ways for you to monetize content. And once folks realize that Twitter is not a place where you can monetize stuff, it's gone. Especially when there's no more content and all of it is just, like you say, an echo chamber. So I honestly think that Musk has six months. Six months to start implementing revenue sharing with creators in a viable way. Not this nonsense... 50-50 split like Twitch or try and uh, there's ad revenue with YouTube because Twitter cannot match YouTube's ad share. Mm. Like he has to do something for creators because those are the people that are going to keep people on the platform. When those people go, they're gone. I end my <laughs> <laughs> I hear everything you're saying and I want it to be true. However, we also have to realize what we're dealing with here. As Marcus Aurelius says, you must know animal's nature. Yeah. And Elon Musk is all ego. His ego will not allow Twitter to, quote-unquote, fail or crash and burn. Okay. I, don't th I think we'll st see it around for the next five, six years at least before something tangible or something uh, measurable as far as its failure, uh, critical failure will happen. Yeah, I don't I know. I think uh, as well as uh, those points, because I do see a point in the creator argument. Yeah. And I also see a point in the in the ego argument that Elon Musk will 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 he can basically overnight he can decide to change the things, right? Yeah. But he can he's done that before. But I think the too big to fail argument is also there. I think Twitter is a, a big giant complex organ, right? Right. Because mm. it's also a thing for creators where people can go to their favorite creators. But also, there's a lot of information that you get on Twitter. Mm. Specifically for me, I started using Twitter like really uh, to, to read the news, you know, um, to check out the headlines and stuff. And, and while that is a way to get onto websites and different things, eventually that became government institutions and ESCOM. And, you know, and, and a lot of people go on Twitter to to talk about these things, yeah. right? To talk about the news and to talk about, uh, about what the government's doing and about what the load shedding and about, and, and that unless a company like Meta or can, can replicate that in the same kind of level as, as it is now, because it has grown very organically to, to the point that it is now, unless they can do that, then people will still keep coming back to Twitter, right? Yeah. That's what I think. So I also, I agree with that because Twitter is, like you say, it's complex. And the reason people are on Twitter, the reasons people are on Twitter are complex. Like yourself, yeah. I started using Twitter because, oh, there were some funny jokes mm. and, oh, there was some information that I could find. But over time, it became the source for me to find information that I wouldn't find elsewhere yeah. because I was following people who were like sitting at a press event or who were tuned in to some CEO's ear. Like, right. uh, 
knowing which launches, like people like Evan Blass, who shares leaked uh, renders of smartphones. Right. Like it's a very simple account. It's very small in mm. the greater scheme of things, but it's so informative. Right. The amount of information I derive from those accounts is massive. But to that point, I also think that that's Elon Musk's fundamental misunderstanding of Twitter. He sees it as a place where people come on and then stay rather than a place where people come on, develop relationships, be they parasocial or mm. whatever, and then stay on because of those parasocial relationships. Mm. Whereas Musk is seeing it as a, a person comes onto Twitter and they're immediately inspired by my Doge memes. And that's how I get the users. And that's, that's a, a fundamental misunderstanding. It's also why I believe Twitter has struggled to reach the same sort of heights as Facebook has. Mm. Because it's not, a, it's not a place for everybody. It's not a place for, like my parents. My parents would find no value on Twitter. Mm. Absolutely nothing. Because it's not, there's nothing there that caters to their needs or their wants right. or their interests. And that's where Musk, I think, is, is fundamentally misunderstanding Twitter. It's not a global town square. It's a club with very small little rooms where niches of groups of people yeah. go and meet. It's not a town square. It has never been. It never will be. And he just doesn't get that. Is that all we have to say about this trash fire that is Twitter.com? For now. For now. For because now. There, there's going to be more eventually. Um, but I think we've done really well. I think we've got like two or three months without talking about Twitter as a main topic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's been nice. It's, it's been, been, it's really been nice. okay. It's been okay. It's been okay. Um, but yeah, we're, we're interested to hear what other folks think about Twitter. Like, let us know on, uh, over on our Twitter page, <laughs> <laughs> or over on Facebook. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to see it go because I love Twitter. I've been on it since 2009. It's entrenched itself into my psyche. Yeah. Like, I cannot go a day without thinking, oh, I wonder what so-and-so is saying mm. on Twitter. Um, but Elon Musk, please, man. Please, please, please. Just, just sit down with some ordinary people, some non-blue-check pod bros, like just normal people, right? And ask them what they get from Twitter. And you'll realize that it's, they don't care about Twitter blue. They don't care about these extra nonsense. Just, just give us tweet deck and let us tweet. That's all we want to do. That's going to do it from Aslo. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Um, just a quick reminder that we are now on TikTok, TikTaks, uh, <laughs> where we uh, post some uh, recaps of the, the news of the previous day. So uh, be sure to follow us, HypertextZA on, on TikTok. Fortunately, we couldn't have Hypertext, and we already took it. Damn it. I was going to say a bad word there, but let me not. But anyway, from myself, Brendan Lodge, cheerio from Lee Monzon. Bye, guys. And from Romney Chetty. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.